What's up? Hello. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Infinite Cast. A pod jest. The pod, the pod jest. The pod jest, except no substitutions. Uh, thank you to the person online who sent me their photo of a uh, hard copy uh, Infinite Jest, which we were speculating perhaps didn't uh, hardcover. Hardcover. Uh, Infinite Jest, which we were speculating may not even exist because we certainly had never seen. An- Did we talk about this last time? I think. I think that was said after last time. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. We, we're recording a bunch of these in a row, so yeah. I don't know when I'm getting things out of order. Anyway, uh, to that to that person, uh, keep your hands on that first edition hardcover uh, Infinite Jest because that'll uh, probably be worth something someday. Oh, yeah. A first edition. I wonder how much it goes for now. Do people even care about first editions anymore? Or does that only matter when you have, uh, you know... Um, the sound and the fury. Yeah, or what was the thing from fucking the the horny boy movie with Jennifer Lopez? Did you get her a first edition copy of, like, The Odyssey? Yes. Which makes no sense, considering The Odyssey is a, uh, a an, an oral poem. Yeah, I mean, certainly there must be editions of, of it that were, like, you know, because they're new translations and stuff. Or like I don't know. So if it's you on could like get like a first, classics. but it's yeah, it's it's a very stupid. Considering that you could very easily uh, uh, swapped out any other book ever written and have that uh, ga- gag make more sense. Yeah. Anyway, the the horny boy with with Jennifer Lor- Lopez. Lor- Lorpez. Lorpez. Uh, we should start reading. Okay, let's let's get into it. See how far how how far. Let's see how that far that young man can go. Uh, Wednesday, eleventh November, year of the depend adult undergarment. Lens, he's back to lens. Wears a worsted top coat and dark slacks and Brazilian loafers with a high wattage shine and a disguise that makes him look like Andy Warhol with a tan. <laughs> Bruce Green wears a cheesy off the rack leather jacket of stiff cheap leather that makes the jacket creak when he breathes. This is this is when you man this is when you find but you're like what like true character is when it's pointed <laughs> right at you and some bug-eyed fucking spicks not five mitts uh which takes us to end note uh one thirty uh Charlestown slash Southeast Street term for meters five five mitts okay back to the text uh five five mitts away pointing it and I I strangely I get real calm see and I said I said Pepito I I said I. Pepito, man, you go on and do what you need to do, man. Go on and shoot, but man, you better. I mean, you fucking better kill me with the first shot, man, or you won't get another one, I said. Not even bullshitting, man. I'm serious. It's like I found right then I meant it. You know what I'm saying? Green lights both their smokes. I'm going to try to get, try to, like, figure out the lens voice. Lens exhales with that hiss of people in a rush to drive their point home. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. <laughs> it's an urban November PM. Very last leaves down. Dry, gray, hairy grass. Brittle bushes. Gapped toothed trees. The rising moon looks like it doesn't feel very well. <laughs> the le- click of lenses loafers and the crunchy thud of Green's old asphalt spreader's boots with the thick black soles. Green's little noises of attention and assent. Uh, he says he's been broken by life, is all he'll personally say. Green. Life has kicked his ass, and he's regrouping. Lens likes him, and there's always this slight hangnail of fear, like clinging whenever he likes somebody. It's like something terrible could happen at any time. Less fear than a kind of tension in the region of stomach and ass, and all body wince. Deciding to go ahead and think somebody's a stand-up guy, it's like you drop something. You give up all your power over it. 
You have to stand there impotent, waiting for it to hit the ground. All you can do is brace and wince. It kind of enrages Lens to like somebody. There would be no way to say any of this out loud to Green. As it gets past 2,200 hours and the meatloaf in his pockets baggies gotten dark and hard from disuse, the pressure to exploit the circa 2216 interval for resolution builds to a terrible pitch, but Lens still can't get yet qu- Lens still can't yet quite get it up <laughs> to ask Green to walk back some other way at least once in a while. How does he do it and still have Green know he thinks he's okay? But you don't come right out there and let somebody hear you say you think they're okay. When it's a girl you're just trying to X, it's like a different thing. Straightforwarder. <laughs> but like, for instance, where do you look with your eyes when you tell somebody you like them and mean what you say? You can't look right at them because then what if their eyes look at you as your eyes look at them and you lock eyes as you're saying it? And then there'd be some awful like voltage or energy there hanging between you. You can't look away like you're nervous, like some nervous kid asking for a date or something. You can't go around giving that kind of thing of yourself away. Plus the knowledge that the whole fucking thing's not worth this kind of winds and stress. The whole thing's enraging. The afternoon of tonight, earlier, at circa 16, 10 hours, Lens sprayed uh, R-I-J-I-D, rigid brand male hairspray, (laughs) in the face of a one-eyed Ennett House stray cat that had wandered by mischance into the men's head upstairs. But the result? Unsatisfying. (laughs) The cat had just run away downstairs, clunking into the banister only once. Lens then got diarrhea, which always disgusts him, and he had to stay in the head and open the little warped frosted glass window and run the shower on sea until the smell's evidence cleared, with fucking Glynn pounding on the door and attracting attention, howling about who's flailing the whale in there all this time. Is it by any chance Lens? But then how would he supposed to act henceforth toward Green if he blows him off and says to let him walk solo home? How would he, bo- how would he be supposed to act if it seemed like he'd spurned Green? What does he henceforth say? Henceforward, sorry. What does he henceforward say if he and Green pass each other in the aisle at Saturday Night Lively, or both reach for the same sandwich at the raffle break at White Flag, or get caught standing there half naked in towels in the hall waiting for somebody to get out of the shower? What if he like spurns Green and Green ends up in the three-man room while Lens is still in there and they have to room together and interface constantly? And if Lens tries to temper the spurning by telling Green he likes him. Where the fuck is he supposed to look when he says it? <laughs> if, if trying to uh, X a female species, Lens would have no problemo for, with where to look. He'd have no problem with looking deep into some bitch's eyes and looking so sincere it's like he's dying inside him. Or if like assuring a bad-complected Brazilian he hadn't stepped on a half kilo three separate times with inositol, which takes us to end note 231, powdered vitamin B12, convincingly bitter and talc-textured, which Lens has always preferred B12 to mannitol as a cut because mannitol gives him this allergic thing where he got very tiny red bumps with weird pale caps on his fingertips. Back to the text. Or if high, zero problem. If he got high, he'd have no problem telling somebody he liked them, him even if he really did. For it'd give his spirits a voltage that more than overweigh whatever upsetting voltage might have hang in the air between somebody. Might hang in the air between somebody. A few line skirts and there'd be no stress issues about telling Bruce G with all due respects to go to screw, go peddle his papers, go play in the freeway, go play with a chainsaw, go find a short pier. That no disrespect, but Lens needed to fly solo in the urban night. So after the incident with a cat and diarrhea and some hard words with Dr. Glenn, who was slumped holding his abdomen down against the south wall of the upstairs hall, Lens decides enough is enough and goes and gets a little square of foil off the industrial roll Don G keeps under the Ennett sink 
and goes and takes a half gram, maybe a gram at most, out of the emergency stash, out of the vault thing he's razored out of the principles of natural lectures. Far from your scenario of relapsing, the Bing is medicinal support for assertively sharing his need for aloneness with Green, <laughs> so that issues of early sobriety can get resolved before standing in the way of spiritual growth. Lens will use cocaine in the very interests of sobriety and growth itself. <laughs> so then, like, strategically at the Brookline Young People's Meeting over on Beacon near the Newton line on a Wednesday at the raffle break at 2109 hours, Lens moistens his half-gasper and puts it carefully back in the pack and yawns and stretches and does a quick pulse check and gets up and saunters casually into the handicapped head with the lockable door and the big sort of crib built around the shitter itself for uh, lowering uh, for crippled lowering onto the toilet and does like maybe two, maybe three generous lines of bing off the top of the toilet tank and wipes the tank uh, top off uh, both before and after with wet paper towels, ironically rolling up the same crisp buck he'd brought for the meeting's collection and utilizing it and cleaning it thoroughly with his finger and rubbing his gums with the finger and then putting his head way back in the mirror to check the kidney-shaped nostrils of his fine uh, aquiline nose <laughs> that's um, for clinging evidence in the trim hair up there and tasting the bitter drip in the back of his frozen throat and taking the clean rolled buck and back rolling it and smoothing it out and hammering it with his fist on the lip of the sink and folding it neatly into half of half of its original treasury department size so that all evidence anybody ever seen had a passing thought of rolling the buck into a hard, tight tube is, like, annihilated. <laughs> <laughs> then sauntered back out like butter wouldn't soften anywhere on his body, knowing just where to look at all times and casually hefting his balls before he sat back down. And then aside from the every-so-often hemispasm of the mouth and right eye, he hides via the old sunglasses and pretend cough tactic. The second half of the meeting's endless oratory goes fine, he supposes, even though he did smoke almost a whole expensive pack of Gaspers in 34 minutes. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh, Jesus. Blah. And the, <laughs> and the holier than you young people AAs over in what were supposed to be the non-smoking rows of chairs against the east wall to his right shot him over some negative type looks. When perchance he happened to find he had one going in the little tin ashtray and two at once going in his mouth. Jesus. But Lenz was able to play the whole thing off with insusistent aplomb. Is that the second time we've... Uh, who was else was described as insouciant? Insouciant. Oh, his... um. Well, of course, Pemulus is, Pemulus is outfit. Insolent. It's, it, insolent. Yeah. <sighs> insusistent aplomb sitting there insusistent. in his aviator sunglasses with his legs crossed and his top-coated arms resting out along the backs of the empty chairs on either side. I just love trying to pretend, pretend you're not high when you are. Just being like, I'm pulling it off. I'm doing it. Yes. No one can tell. <laughs> uh, also, that that just tableau of the two cigarettes reminds me of that one scene in Rushmore where uh, Bill, Bill Murray's smoking two cigarettes at once. Yes. Jams another one into the empty Coke can. I'm pretty lonely these days, Max. <laughs> uh, good movie. Uh, yeah, t smoking two cigs at once is a clear sign you are down bad. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the night noises of the metro night. Harbor winds scurling on angled cement. The shush and sheen of overpass traffic. TP's laughter in interior rooms. The yowl of unresolved cat life. Horns blatting off in the harbor. Receding sirens. Confused inland gulls cries, broken glass from far away, car horns and gridlock, arguments and languages, more broken glass, running shoes, a woman's either laugh or scream from who can tell how far, coming off the grid. 
dogs defending whatever dog yards they pass by, the sound of chains and risen hackles, the podiatric click and thud, the visible breath, gravel's crunch, creak of green's leather, the snick of a million urban lighters, the gauzy far-off humming asthmes point, pointing out true plum north, the clunk and tinkle of stuff going into dumpsters, and rustle of stuff in dumpsters settling, and scroll of wind on the sharp edges of dumpsters, and unmistakable clanks and tinkles of dumpster divers and can miners going after dumpsters, cans, and bottles, the district redemption center down in West Brighton, and actually even boldly sharing a storefront with Liquor World Liquor Store so the can miners can do like one-stop redeeming and shopping, which Lens finds repellent to the Maximus and shares the feelings with Green. Lens observes to Green how myriadly ironic are the devices by which the famous crooner's promise to clean up our urban cities has come to be kept. The noises parallaxing in from out over the city's winking grid at night, the woolly haze of monoxides, you got your faint cunt stink of the wind off the bay. <laughs> God. Lanes' little crucify of landing lights well, well ahead of their own noise. Crows in trees. Gotta love a crow. Urban crows. Over, urban crows. Hey, it do be loud in cities, don't it? It do. They, they, there are a lot of noises being made. I think uh, people usually think of that as a, a downside of urban living. Living. Uh, I have grown to appreciate it. It creates love, a white noise. Yeah, I love all the little little sounds of the city just mm-hmm. kind of burbling up in the background at all times. You There's got always a garbage truck going somewhere, bonk. somewhere in the distance. <laughs> the clong of a of yeah, a garbage the truck. Vroom, jonk of a, of a <laughs> three a.m. garbage uh, truck. <laughs> that you swear it's not their day to go up the uh, the alley. Why are they still going up <laughs> our street today? It's uh, uh. okay. You got your standard crepuscular rustles, ground floors' lit windows laying little rugs of light out into their lawns, porch lights that go on automatically when you stroll by, a threnody of sirens somewhere (laughs) north of the Charles, bare trees creaking in the wind, the state bird of Massachusetts, he shares to Green, is the police siren (laughs) to project and to swerve, (laughs) the cries and screams from out across who knows how many blocks, who knows the screams' intent. Sometimes the end of the scream is at the sound of the start of the scream, he opines. The visible breath and the rainbowed rings of streetlights and headlights through that breath. Unless the screams are really laughing, Lenz's own mother's laugh had sounded like she was being eaten alive. Except after the maybe five total lines hoovered in a totally purposive medical, non-recreational spirit, except then instead of assuring Green he's a blue-chip commodity on Lenz's exchange, but to please screw and let Lenz stroll home solo with his meatloaf and agenda, it eventually uh, it eventuates that Lenz has again miscalculated the effect of Bing's hydrolysis, which takes us to endnote 232. Oh, God, I'm sorry, everyone. Let me... Hydrolysis is the metabolic process by which organic cocaine's broken down into benzoyl ligonine, methanol, econine, and benzoic acid. And one reason not everybody is wired to enjoy a crossbulation is that the process is essentially toxic and can yield unpleasant neurosomatic fallout in certain systems, e.g. in Don Gately's neurosystem, spider angiomas, and a tendency to pluck at the skin on the back of his hands, due to which tendency he's always loathed and hated coke and most coke heads. In Bruce Green's system, binocular nystagmus and a walloping depression even while the coke eye is still on that accounts for the tendency towards fits of weeping with his nystagmic face hidden in the crook of his big right arm. In Ken Erdetti, an unstoppable rhinoragia that sent him to the emergency room both times he ever did cocaine. 
Let me see if I can learn what Rhino Ragey is. I'll, I'll look. Do you want me to here. look it up while you? Keep yeah. Going. Okay. Rhino. 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 Nose like the uh, anger. One second. Okay. You can, you oh, is going. it just really bad nosebleeds? I'm just thinking of uh, hem hemorrhage. Is yeah. it a rhino hemorrhage? Uh, that's yeah. In Kate Gompert, blepharospecticity and now instant cerebral hemorrhage because she's on Parnate, an MAO inhibiting antidepressant. In Emil Minty, abolism so out of control he snorted being only once. Hemispasms of the oral labia are a common effect of coke hydrolysis, one mild enough so that people can get them and still enjoy being very much. The spasming can range from a mild gnawing slash writhing effect in Lenz, Thrale, Cortilu, and Foss to an alternating series of Edvard Munch, Jimmy Carter, Pagliacci, Mick Jagger-like expressive tor contortions so severe that everyone in a room except for them is embarrassed. Ha-ha. <laughs> Uh, rhinoragia is indeed a nosebleed. I love context clues based on etymology. Yes. In former cokehead Calvin Thrust, hydrolysis had caused a priapism that led directly to his early choice of career. Eh. He's born star. star. Yeah. He, he gets a, co a coke boner. A coke boner. And also nystagmus is like twitching of the eye. I guess. Randy Lenz also gets nystagmus, but of the right eye only, as well as vascular constriction diuresis extremis, phosphanism, compulsive tooth grinding, megalomania, phobophobia. What? Is that fear, fear of fears? fears? <laughs> is that just the fear? Maybe the fear. Euphoric recall, delusions of persecution and or homicidal envy, sociosis, postnasal <laughs> drip, a mild priapism that makes the diuresis a dicey and gymnastic affair. Is that like a boner that makes pissing difficult? That's what I would gather that from. This is just Wallace jerking off with a medical dictionary. In, in this is literally this is literally what what is happening. Yeah. Occasional acne. I mean, I guess this stuff, we can talk about it at the end. I guess this stuff is entertaining, but at a certain point, like these are the parts of the book where I'm like, yes, we get it. Right. It's like also like it's it's the dorkiest way to describe the process of getting high on cocaine. Yeah. I get. Well, let's talk about it at the end. Uh. Occasional acne, rosea, and or rhinophyma, and especially if there's synergism from almost a whole pack of filter filterless Winstons and four, oh, God. And four cups of... Oh, Randy Lenz is a truly disgusting gross. person. He smells horrifying. <laughs> oh, God. It's like weirdly nice, but also you have to assume shitty like clothes oh, yeah. that he thinks are nicer than they are. Yeah. Uh, filterless Winstons and four cups of nipple hardeningly strong and alkaline BYP coffee. Confabulation concurrent with a manic garrulousness sufficient to cause lingual tendinitis, pulmonary facies, and a complete inability to send from his presence anyone who seems at all willing to listen to him. He's got such good restaurant ideas. So, okay, back to the text. He's miscalculated the effect that the Bing's hydrolysis will have. He always, like, previsions the effect as cool, nonchalant, verbal song fraud but instead Lenz on the way home finds himself under huge hydrolistic compulsion to have Green right there by his side or basically anyone who can't get away or won't go away right there with him and to share with Green or any compliant ear pretty much any every experience and thought he's ever had <laughs> to give each datum of the case of our Lenz shape and some invisible breath as his whole life and then some tear asses across his, his mind's arctic horizon trailing phosphines. He tells Green that his phobic fear of timepieces stems from his stepfather, an Amtrak train conductor with deeply unresolved issues, with uh, which he used to make Lenz wind his pocket watch and polish his fob daily with a chamois cloth and nightly make sure his watch's displayed time was correct to the second 
or else he'll, he lay into the pint-sized Randy with a rolled-up copy of Track and Flange, a slick and wicked heavy coffee table-sized size trade period, periodical. Sorry, I'm like stumbling today. I've had some coffee of my own, but no Winston's. Lenz tells Green how spectacularly obese his own late mother had been, using his arms to dramatically illustrate the dimensions involved. He breathes between about every third or fourth fact, ergo about once a block. Lenz tells Green the plots of several books he's read, (laughs) confabulating them. Lenz doesn't notice the way Green's face sort of crumples blankly when Lenz mentions the issue of late mothers. Lenz euphorically tells Green how he once got the tip of his left finger cut off in a mini bike chain once, and how about within days of intensive concentration, the finger had grown back and regenerated itself like a lizard's tail, confounding doctoral authorities. Lenz says that was the incident in youth after which he got in touch with his own unusual life force and energie de vivre, <laughs> and knew and accepted that he was somehow not like the run of common men and began to accept his uniqueness and all that it entailed. And that's like how George Lucas discovered the force. <laughs> I could talk about that later. Please. Lens clues Green in on, uh, it's a myth the Nile crocodile is the most dreaded species of crocodile. <laughs> that the dreaded estuarial crocodile of saltwater habits is a billion times more dreaded by those in the know. Lenz theorizes that his compulsive need to know the time with microscopic precision is also a function of his stepfather's dysfunctional abuse regarding the pocket watch and track and flange. This segues into an analysis of the term dysfunction and its revelance to the distinctions between, say, psychology and natural religion. Do you think that that's a reference to the book that um, he stores the cocaine in? Yeah, psychology. Uh, Yeah. I also like revelance is a good. Just, yeah, uh, it's, it's pretty revelant, I think. Yes, yeah, stoned misspeak. Mm-hmm. Lenz tells how once in the back bay on Boylston outside Bonwitz, a pushy prosthesis vendor gave him a hard time about a glass eye item of jewelry and got his issues juices flowing. And then down the prosthesis vendor line, another vendor simply would not take no of any sort about a bottle of ADA approved zero lube saliva substitute with a confabulated celeb endorsement from Jay Gentle F. Crooner on it. And Lenz utilized Aikido to break the man's nose with one blow and then drive the bones shards and fragments up into the vendor's brain with the follow-up heel of his hand, a maneuver known by a secret ancient Chinese term meaning the old one-two, eliminating the <laughs> saliva guy's map on the spot. So that Lenz had learned about the lethality of his whatever was beyond black belt in Aikido and his hands' deadliness as weapons when his issues were provoked. God, he's doing these uh, few segments. He's he's just doing such a great job of of portraying this guy as like the biggest, uh, most awful creep type person. Just the creepiest, like most violent, like lamest loser. I feel really bad. What's the other guy's name? Green? Bruce Green. Yeah. Ex-lover of Mildred Mildred Bonk, resident of the uh, uh, hair-lipped snake uh, owner's guy. And as far as I remember, basically just addicted to weed. Uh, He's doing a hero's journey, uh, hero's job, putting up with this bullshit. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And he tells Green how he'd taken a solemn vow right there, running like hell down Boylston for the auditorium tea stop to evade prosecution vowed never to use his lethally adept Aikido skills, except in the most compulsory situation of defending the innocent and slash or weak. Lenz tells Green how once he was at a Halloween party (laughs) where a hydrocephalic woman woman wore a necklace made of dead gulls. Lenz shares about this recurring dream (laughs) 
where he's seated under a tropical ceiling fan in a cane chair wearing an L.L. Bean safari hat and holding a wickerware valise in his lap. And that's all. And that's the recurving dream. That sounds pretty nice. Yeah. On the 400 block of West Beacon around uh, 2202 hours, Lens demonstrates for Bruce Green the secret Aikido 1-2 with which he demapped the saliva monger, breaking the move down into slow-mo constituent movements so that Green's untrained eye could follow. He says there's another recurving nightmare about a clock with hands frozen eternally at 1830 that's so trouser-fowlingly scary he won't even burden Green's fragile psychology with the explicits of it. <laughs> Green, lighting both their smokes, says he either doesn't remember his dreams or doesn't dream. Lenz adjusts his white toupee and mustache in a darkened interlace outlet's window, does the odd bit of Tai Chi stretching, and blows his nose into West Beacon's cluttered gutter, Euro-style, one nostril at a time, arching to keep his coat front well back from what he expels. Green's one of those muscle shirt types that carries his next gasper tucked up over his ear, which the use of rigid or other brands of quality hair fixative makes impossible, for the reason that residues of spray on the cigarette cause it to burst unexpectedly into flame at points along its length. Lens regales how at that Halloween party with the necklace of birds, there'd been allegedly a concavity refugee infant there at the party, at the home of a South Boston orthodontist that dealt lidocaine to Bing retailers on the prescriptional dicky, which takes us to note 233, a.k.a. lignocaine, xylocaine L, a diethylaminooxalidide compound used as a dental and maxillofacial anesthetic, the world's best Bing cut because it numbs and produces a bitter drip just like the Bingster, and also even temporarily heightens the rush of IV coke, Although it's, if it's based, it tastes nothing like oxidized Coke, and it's also more expensive than mannitol or B12, and harder to get because it's prescription, meaning the orthodontist was a very popular fellow with dealers indeed. Back to the text. Yes. Is this the a child refugee? Is this one of these giant, the giant infants? A giant infant with like a huge head, head and no skull. A hydrocephalic giant infant. I mean, I haven't thought about those in a long time. <laughs> A normal size, an unferal infant, but totally without a skull, lying in a kind of raised platform or dais. Uh, I never know if it's a dais, 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 dais by the fireplace with its shapeless and descalled head region supported and like shuddering, contained in a sort of lidless plastic box. Ew. And its eyes were sunk way down in its face, which was the consistency of like quicksand, the face, and its nose concave and its mouth hanging out over either side of the boneless face. And the total head had like conformed to the inside of the containing box it was contained in, the head, and appeared roughly square in overall outline, the head. And the woman with the lay of gull heads and other persons in costumes had adjusted hallucinogens and drank mezcal and ate the little worms in the mezcal and had performed circled ritual rituals around the box and platform around 2355 hours, worshipping the infant, or as they turned it simply, the infant, as if there were only one. Green lets Lens know the time at roughly two-minute intervals, maybe once a block from his cheap but digital watch, when the critical BBSB liquid crystal sign is obscured by the urban night's strolling skyline. Lens's labial writhing occurs worst on diphthongs involving O sounds. Lens clues Green in that AA slash NA works all right, but there's no fucking question it's a cult. He and Green have apparently got themselves to the point where the only way out of the addictive tailspin is to enlist in a fucking cult and let them try and brainwash your ass, and that the first person tries to lay a saffron robe or tambourine on lens is going to be one very sorry cable yarrow indeed, is all. 
cable yarrow. Uh, Lenz claims to remember some experiences which he says happened to him in vitro. <laughs> Lenz says the Ennett graduates who often come back and take up living room space sitting around comparing horror stories about former religious cults they tried joining as part of their struggle to try to quit with the drugs and alcohol are not without a certain naive charm, but are basically naive. <laughs> Lens details that robes and mass weddings and head shaving and pamphleteering in airports and selling flowers on median strips and signing away inheritances and never sleeping and marrying whoever they tell you and then never seeing who you marry are small potatoes in terms of bizarre cult <laughs> criterion. Lens tells Green he knows individuals who've heard shit that would blow Green's mind out his ear sockets. What are we doing on time? We're at like 28.30. How much more of this? There's another just short, just a, a basically a page. We yeah, let's do, do one more page. At lunchtime, Hal and Condenza was lying on his bunk in bright sunlight through the window with his hands laced over his chest. And Jim Trolch poked his head in and asked Hal what he was doing. And Hal told him photosynthesizing <laughs> and then didn't say anything else until Trolch went away. Then 41 breaths later, Michael Pemulus stuck his head in where Trolch had been. Did you eat yet? Hal made his stomach bulge up and patted it, still looking at the ceiling. The beast has killed and gorged and now lies in the shade of the baobab tree. <laughs> gotcha. Surveying his local pride. I gotcha. Over 200 breaths later, John N.R. Wayne opened the door ajar a little more and put his whole head in and stayed like that with just his head in. He didn't say anything, and Hal didn't say anything, and they stayed like that for a while, and then Wayne's head smoothly withdrew. That's it. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, Randy Lenz. What a creep. It's it's funny that we waited so long to find out what, what's the deal with this guy. Yeah. And he's just so... It's like the perfect combination where is he both thinks he's, like, spiritually enlightened and physically, like, scary and, yeah. uh, like street smart and a know-it-all and yet he's just walk he's, he's he's living in a halfway house wearing a toupee and a fake mustache yeah um it is very funny and you know just like one of those very nice touches is that our our intro to him is as this roving maniac animal killer mm -hmm. and then the thing that makes him really seem monstrous is his coked up a bragged bragging uh to to poor bruce bruce green bruce green uh that's that's like well okay well killing animals was one thing but being this kind of jerk come on <laughs> you almost wish you would start killing me yeah I'm again. like yeah you just let, leave this guy go alone and go back to the cats <laughs> yeah the <laughs> having having experiences in vitro kill, also just like confabulating like the the thing of like breaking a guy's nose and then driving the bone into his yeah. brain like that's obviously very clearly like a uh, a, a kung fu movie yeah, like, like it's cliche something, it's something like, you like read in a Steven Seagal interview once I, I it parts about like re recounting book <laughs> books that he's read but getting the plots wrong yeah am I I mean I don't I'm never I don't I don't know this but is it really possible to drive a nose bone into someone's brain <sighs> Yes, I mean I'm not gonna I'm gonna back up lens here, uh, and I certainly would not tr would try not to bring this up in casual conversation, and certainly not claim that I would know how to do it. But I have heard that that is a a go to self defense move is that it's pretty easy to break a uh, a nose bone. It's easy to break a nose bone, but can you drive it into someone's brain, killing them? I don't know. 
That's where you're like, ah, you think you have to be sound off. Sound. sound off in the comments if, have, if, if, you, if you know you've ever seen sure. that happen or have, do, have yeah. done it yourself. Or, or done it yourself. This is a safe space. Email, yeah. We're, we don't have to. We we don't have to report. And as we've said in episodes past, we are um, we 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 won't snitch. We won't snitch. Uh, we aren't cops. Uh, if we were, we'd have to tell you. We, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the podcast code. Um, the medic the the medicalized uh addiction thing. yeah thing is very interesting. I as I was saying there, yeah, it's a little like all right, we we get it, but it is. I mean, I assume therein is the point is to take something that, you know, people take as this very visceral, uh, reactive experience and depersonalize it as much as possible, you know? Right. Clinicalize it. it. Yeah, clinicalize it when, you know, the the vision of cocaine is that it's glamorous, like you, you snort it and then everything feels great. And it's like, yeah, well, actually, some people get like, nosebleeds so bad they have to go to the hospital. Yeah, it's like very, or this very like social, uh, yeah drug energie de vivre energie de vivre i'm just looking to see if there's a uh blepharospecticity blepharospecticity why are you looking up what that means i am um rhino ragey yeah phobophobia yeah look i'll look that uh, that up too a lot of good i mean i i twitch basically um Nice stag. Involuntary eye movement. I guess that's when like your yeah, your eyes kind of like, twitch. twitch. Yeah, but not but not the like lid twitching. Like it's, just the pupils like twitching in their sockets. And they're just like your eyes are vibrating. <laughs> Wool. Um, what else? Um, what, what else? I'm, I'm just I'm just looking up to see if there's any any other definition in there that I uh, um that you hadn't that you didn't quite clock. That was that was a uh, a good workout for uh, knowing f- like phonetic origins of things. Yeah, a, f- a fear of phobia is the fear of fear. That is that is phobophobia. The fear, phobophobia. I mean, the, uh, the ultimate mind killer is the, the, fear. the fear of fears. And what one might say, the only thing we have to fear is fear, fear itself. itself. Of course, uh, FDR encouraged everyone to uh, engage in a healthy sense of phobophobia. Yes, uh, he was our most phobophobic pro- uh, president. It is the. Um, it is also funny that in you know everyone has their own addictions in and at house, uh, but everyone has tried cocaine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it like a lot of people's it just uh, doesn't work. For it them. just doesn't work for them. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's <laughs> it's a uh, it, it is funny that they uh, also I guess what what I can bring it back to is like who is writing these endnotes and how do they know everything about all these people because it's it's not like. I mean, I know they're sitting around and jawing a bunch, but like Kate Gompert doesn't like to talk to anybody. Yeah. Ren- Randy Lenz obviously likes to talk to a lot of people, you know, but he doesn't like to listen. So it's some, it's this weird. Uh, yeah. We haven't talked about that in a long time, but that a, was, you know, it, it, the question of who is the author of this book? It's what a is true the bird, bird yeah. eye view? What is the, uh, the, uh, authorial, uh, not intent. Well, I mean, I guess you could do intent, but, 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 um, Authority? Yeah, yeah. yeah you know. Who's the authorial voice? Yeah, and exactly. And are like they a on, real, yeah, where where does their information come from? Where's their perspective? Are they a reliable? Yeah. Name? I mean, what that, does okay. it mean narratively to have an endnote? It's supposed to be some kind of clarification. An endnote is usually like an ac- academic exercise of mm-hmm. the point of clarification or citation. Yeah. Right. So it's attempting to what a 
put more authority onto the text but it, it it makes you wonder like who is who is writing it i don't know and I, especially I don't have thoughts on this i'm it, sure somebody else has written written something more interesting on that right on just the end notes but it's also like it's it's pulling stuff from like medical dictionaries it's pulling stuff from the oxford english dictionary which as we know how is memorized uh it's, it pulls things from like the um other parts of p- other characters past lives other characters past lives the uh, imagined history of this world sometimes it puts uh it makes a commentary on the text of infinite jest the yeah. book being like i don't know what he means or like i don't know what they're saying so it's like it's somebody but i do think it's somebody but who who uh, maybe we'll get to the bottom of it. Uh, yeah. What do we think of that last little Hal segment? Well, so there's no paragraph break or chapter break, which means that I believe it's also taking place on 9th of, or 11th of November or YDAU, which means that I think maybe at this point, John Wayne knows that someone knows that he's fucking Hal's mom. Mm. And also Hal, like Hal is literally lying and like counting his breaths. Like mm-hmm. he's, he's in a bad way. <laughs> he's not, he's not doing good. Yes. Um, he's not he's not interacting with people. So, cur- curious. He's he's declining. I think at this uh, point. Uh, one last thing we'll put in because I don't think we talked about this in the episode that we did a few days ago. Mm. Uh, Matt's point about uh the moms and the Joss Whedon interview. Did we t- say that? We didn't, and we can. Um, that. This week, a big profile of Joss Whedon came out. Uh, that oh, makes, well, at this point, it'll be probably a couple weeks ago. Yes. Well, <laughs> at the time of this recording, yeah. uh, some might remember. What is it in? Vanity Fair or something? The, uh, Vulture, the, the New York the, Magazine. New York Magazine. Uh, that makes him seem uh, quite quite psycho mm-hmm. uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, but as friend of the show, only ever guest on this podcast, uh, Matt Chrisman pointed <laughs> out that he got major... Uh, the moms in Condenza vibes from Joss Whedon's mom, who is, maybe you can explain this, this metaphor more. That that she's like an East coast academic, uh, an attractive woman who, uh, you know, it really focused on like intellectually and like socially cultivating her children. Um, and you know, her, it, her husband was a TV writer. I forget what, what her job was exactly, but, from Joss Whedon's perspective, uh, they ran the household like a writer's room. Like mm-hmm. you constantly had to be like witty and on and uh, knowing things and paying attention. And it, it does. Once uh, Matt said that it did remind me of the general atmosphere in HMH and the way that Hal thinks about his mom of just like kind of being like sickened by the games that she plays, yeah. but also helplessly attracted to her participating in yes. them. Because she does seem to be a pretty charismatic person. And it seems like a good way to screw up a kid. Yeah, you can't put that much. I mean, that that's the thing is like, I think bo- both households are, both types of households, a household with no intellectual curiosity or, or encouragement. And then one where it's like you, it's your job to, yeah. to be like, both turn out, uh, I think, not the, not the best brains that one could hope for. Yes? I've got nothing else. I'm, <laughs> I'm tapped out. You're tapped. Call yeah. call you a um call you call me a keg because I'm tapped. No, I'm because I'm tapped. Call yeah. me a call me a would you say a ma- a, a maple? Call me a, ma- a maple in the springtime. Of a springtime maple because I'm tapped. Yeah. Call me someone who's uh has leaving leaving the television show alone because I'm ta- I'm tapping. <laughs> You're tapping. <laughs> All right. Uh, that's enough for today. Uh, bye everyone. Bye.